I invite you now to turn with me in your uh, Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Or if you don't have one handy, there's a pew Bible at the end of the pew. 1 Peter is all the way towards the, the back of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. We've been working through this, uh, this book throughout our fall time, and we'll continue to in the, the upcoming uh, weeks uh, ahead. We're, we're really excited to be working through this book. As you turn uh, today, you'll see that we are in cha- encountering a topic that's particularly uh, challenging, that has produced no small amount of controversy in our uh, times. And as you, you listen, I'll just tell you right away, we all may feel like uh, somebody dancing with an elephant. Uh, we might get our toes stepped on, and when we do, it, it might hurt a little bit as well. Uh, the notion, as we'll see right away in this verse, of particular roles for husband and wife in marriage has never been an easy one. And if past uh, generations perhaps uh, emphasize the, the differing uh, roles for husband and wife, but uh, de-emphasize the equal status that husband and wife have before the Lord, our generation certainly trumpets the equal status but is often pretty silent or struggles with the idea of differing roles that husband and wife might have. Uh, It's been stated before in some humorous ways. Certainly it can be humorous, the challenges we face uh, sometimes. As George Burns, the comedian, famously stated, marriage begins the moment that a man and a woman become one. The trouble starts the moment they begin trying to decide Which one? It can be also a very serious topic for us as we recognize the prevailing winds of our culture and whether you're here today and you're married or you're thinking about married or you may someday get remarried. We know that our culture gives us certain messages and so I want to urge you as you hear God's Word today to receive it as that. Uh, it'll be easy, certainly, to sort of have a, a knee-jerk political correctness reaction against some of the things that you'll see right away in this passage. Uh, it, it may be that some of our own experiences make this particularly difficult for us to wrestle and embrace some of the challenges of this passage. Uh, it might just be that it's just a tough passage, a tough thing to do for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to love them in an understanding and honoring way as co-heirs, for wives to submit to their husband's leadership and follow their husbands in that way. These aren't easy things, and so we need God's grace today to give us strength to do it. We're going to need God's grace, we know, to extend forgiveness to us for the many areas where we fall short. And with that in mind, let me share just one last thing, and then we'll read our passage for, the, for today. It's so important that we see the call in these verses in light of who Christ is and what He's doing in our lives. Not just a set of rules and regulations, not even some, some, some patterns that might be helpful or good for us to have a good relationship, even if we see it that way. Ultimately, this flows out of who Christ is. And we saw that last week at the end of chapter 2. Let me read a couple of verses from 1 Peter chapter 2 for us, just to set the stage about what Christ is doing for us so that we can be having that in our mind as we read His call for us. He says in verse 21, it says, 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And then in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2, it says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In light of that, that Peter shares with us these verses now, I invite you to stand. I'll continue reading aloud as you read along silently. And let's hear what the shepherd and overseers of our soul has to share with us, husbands and wives, for our marriage relationships today. Likewise, wives... Be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be hidden, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You may be seated, and let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray that you would be with us and allow us to receive your word in a way that uh, our lives might better glorify you and might walk in more fullness of your plan for us, as challenging as these verses are. Lord, I do pray that you would allow us not to simply react against what we hear here and the difficulty of it for husbands and for wives, but Lord, to receive, and I ask that you would strengthen and equip me as I proclaim this message. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our... uh, Three boys, and I always uh, think of this when I think about these passages giving the the God-given biblical uh, parameters for marriage and how husbands are to relate to wives and wives to husbands, that uh, our three boys this fall are doing flag football. So they're out of the soccer circuit right now, but some of you maybe have one or two out there of little ones, or you've got a niece or a nephew that you've gone or seen, or children of a friend that you've gone to, to watch playing that little four or five-year-old soccer level. It's not really soccer at all, is it? I call it blob ball. I don't know what you like to call it, but it's basically, it's a good thing they've got shin guards because basically they're just, you know, in there kicking at each other's shins and the ball is somewhere in this mass of 10 children or 11 children and, the, and then it'll kick out over here to the side and then the whole blob kind of moves over to where the ball is and then the, the ball spits out again and they all move together and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when you first get to watch it for a little bit and then after a while, if you've got the slightest competitive bone, it, it's a little frustrating. 
this is not the way the sport is supposed to go. I had one, and I know I've shared this before, but uh, uh, one of my oldest uh, child was on a team when he was around four or five, and, and they actually had this incident. They had two fields that were right near each other, and he, he was playing in one of the blobs, and the other kids were, and the blob from the other game that was going on at the same time got in such proximity to blob number one that kids from his team actually left the field of our game and joined the other game. They were in blob number two. Well, it's kind of funny with kids' sports to not understand what the positions are and how the game is best played in a way that would be enjoyable and be good. Maybe even funny to see them end up on the wrong field. It's certainly an oversimplification of what we're presented in these verses today, but I don't think it's too far off. But Peter's showing us how to function as a team, as married couples. That God has put in place this way that the team is supposed to function well. And listening to this is not only going to help us to glorify God, but I really believe if we would see the things in these verses as refreshing and good and sort of stop sort of backpedaling from them, it will actually be blessed. Our lives, our marriages will be blessed. Those around us will be strengthened. Our kids will be blessed as well. It's interesting, these uh, verses do lay out some uh, roles, if you don't like that term, some sort of posture. The leadership of the husband and the wife's interaction with that, if you want to put it that way. What it doesn't tell us, though, are some other things. It leaves totally up to us who's going to do the laundry, who's going to mow the lawn, who's going to take out the trash. It's not interested, the Bible, in defining those tasks for us. That's not what this is about. Nor does it have really anything to say right here about what the roles of men or women should be in in the public sphere, in politics, or in the workplace, or those other areas. It does have something to say to us, though, that I think is really important for us to hear. And if you want to follow along and take notes in your worship guide, you can. There's a section in in the back of the worship guide. And the main idea is just this, that because Christ demonstrates love and submission to save us, Husbands are called to lovingly uplift their wives and wives to beautifully submit to their husband's leadership. You know, you think about it right off the bat, these, these verses answer some questions that we really need to know in our culture. What is marriage supposed to look like? Nobody gives you a manual for that. We really don't have a lot of direction. We need to look to God. And these Things that are stated here aren't merely abstract either. And let's be honest, as we're sitting out here, a number of us married couples, we know we've either been through some very difficult times, we're in a difficult time right now, or we probably know at some point down in the future one's going to come, maybe more than one difficult time. We're both sinners in this very close relationship And so it's difficult. It's not just abstract, it's very practical, but it's also not just uh, self-help. 
uh, there's plenty of uh, books out there to be read, and we like to talk to friends and even go to counselors, and all those things are good, and we usually do that because, man, we're right in the middle of some problem, or, man, we're really uh, sideways. And, And that's not bad to seek that help, but what these verses are trying to do is lift our eyes again to a larger vision of what it is that God is, as we read in our call to worship today, our heavenly groom, and that we as his people are his bride, and that what we're actually doing in marriage relationship, whether we can get to to see it and, and have a vision for it each day or not, is we're actually living out the reality of God's relationship with his church. We're living that out as couples and reflecting it in this world. The old uh, illustration is certainly true today, as it has always been if you have husband here and wife here and the Lord here in this triangle. It's a reality that as we will move closer to the Lord, we are to be moving closer to one another as well. That's the Lord's goal for us. Let's talk a minute for about a few underlying principles, because again, I realize the cultural winds blow very strongly in this particular topic today, and so I want you to be able to hear what's being said. Uh, we're not saying we're checking in our mind and dismissing any realities around us in order to believe this passage. What we're saying as believers and coming to the Bible is that we realize that the hard disk of the way that we think, if you've got a hard drive, which is our, our mind, it, it's been corrupted. The files on it are messed up. And if you've ever had that happen with your computer or so forth, you, you know you can't look at the computer and expect the computer to fix itself, right? The files get messed up. The virus gets in there. It can't fix itself. Somebody has to come in from outside and remedy what's going on. Reset the program, reboot it, reinstall, reformat, whatever you want to call it. One of the things that we're saying foundationally, if we put our trust in Christ, is that we do not any longer fully trust our own capacity to understand what's best for us. It's not just that we do bad things from time to time or that we have sort of bad emotions, but we realize my mind and my understanding about how I'm supposed to live life and who I'm supposed to be is messed up. It's got a virus, and I can't fix it myself. I can't find my way. I need someone else to come and speak into it. And so when we read these verses in the Bible and we say these aren't just cultural, these aren't just passing ideas, but they're actually applicable for us today, we're simply saying, God, I know I need your help. I need outside input. And, and shouldn't we be able to, to say that? It's amazing how we buck against some of these things in a culture where we know, uh, all of us firsthand, how uh, easy it is for us to get sideways in marriage relationship, how easy it is. For marriages to collapse and fall apart, we ought to be attentive. We ought to be ready to listen and hear God tell us. And here we have him telling us. So that's our, our posture, if that helps you a bit today. First thing that I think is powerful to see, and it's laid out a little bit more clearly in Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul talks about this, Ephesians 5 verse 20, but it's also in here, is that there's actually a a mutual surrendering, a mutual submission that's involved in any marriage relationship. 
We're going to talk specifically for a minute about what God calls the husband to and then the wife as well. But just as a big blanket, uh, overarching statement, you realize that in order to enter into a relationship with one another, for someone to love and live in an understanding way and view another person as a co-heir and really care for them, that's a surrendering for husbands of their will to that marriage relationship. And certainly as we read these verses and the call for wives to respond uh, and, and follow the leadership of their husbands, submit to that leadership, that's a submission of yourself to that other person. Both of us are called to that. Let's talk for a minute about what this passage calls the husbands to do. Before we even look at verse 7, I'll just mention again, our, our call to worship today was from Isaiah 54. It's a passage about how God, as the groom, loves his people, us, the, the church, believers. And that's a biblical paradigm for marriage. Uh, Hosea is a book in the Bible, that, in the Old Testament, that's all about this image of the husband, Hosea, who goes and marries this uh, wife, Gomer, and how he, uh, he is called Hosea to continue to persevere in relationship with her and love her even though she is unfaithful to him. The picture is one of steadfastness, of love and determination to love and bless. Ezekiel chapter 16 speaks of the same thing. It's all over the scriptures, this image. So it's with that in mind that we come to this verse 7. And I want to start down here and then we'll work our way back to the, to the wives. It says here, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now certainly one of the things that can... Uh, Get our dander up a little bit is when it says weaker vessel there. It's not referring to any uh, abilities or skills or, or anything along those lines. It's just referring to the fact that in general, uh, men have greater physical strength than women. And what the apostle, so it's not meant to be some offensive statement. The apostle uh, Peter is saying, men, use your strength. How are you supposed to use it? Use it to bless your wife, to live with her in an understanding way. I like what uh, one commentator wrote, and it's in your worship guide if you want to at least turn there to follow along as I read uh, this. It says this. It says, The church's head is the church's groom. He does not crush the church. Rather, he sacrifices himself to serve her in order that she might become everything he longs for her to be, namely herself in the fullness of her glory. So a a husband should never use his headship to crush or to stifle his wife, to frustrate her from being herself. His love for her will lead him to an exactly opposite path. He'll give himself for her in order that she may develop her full potential under God and so become more completely herself. That's honoring. That's viewing your wife, husbands, as a a co-heir of God's grace. That's doing what Ephesians 5 talks about when it says to love your wife as Christ did, to lay down his life for the church. You know, it's easy for us, and I've probably said this before, us husbands would blow out our chest and say, man, if uh, anything ever happened, I I would absolutely die for my wife easy for us to say that 
hard for us to take out the trash when she asks us to. Hard for us to do the little things each day. Hard for us to come home, uh, most of us out in the workplace from a busy day at work, and, and, and have energy to pour into her. Hard to do what it says here, to live in an understanding way, to really listen. I'll give you a, a couple of pointers. One is, husbands, we, we need to move towards this. Uh, we, we've, we, this isn't going to happen by osmosis or by accident. For us to love our wife in this way and to live in an understanding way, it's got to be intentional. It's got to be purposeful. And the sad thing for us, and my, I, am, I am right up at the top of the list, is we can be so intentional about so many things in our lives. And pouring into our marriage and really loving our wife can be one of the last things we give energy and focus to in any tangible way. We can come up with all other kinds of things to devote our mindset to. And, and the scriptures would just urge us to take some of that energy that you use it for other things. I know we feel tapped out a lot, but take it and devote it to our wife. Care for her in that way. Do it in a smart way, too. Work smarter, not harder. If you ever come in to meet with me, folks meet with me for premarital counseling or, or even marriage counseling, we always talk about the five love languages because I think that's really helpful stuff. And I will tell you, it was difficult for me early in our marriage days. And I would say, patience is a children's church today, but I would say all these things if, if she was here. You know, patience is a, you know those five love languages? Do you know them? You, you need to know them. They're good for, like, friendships and family relationships, too, not just marriage. But, uh, you know, uh, physical affection, verbal, uh, gifts, service. What am I forgetting? Uh, time. That's the one. My wife likes uh, concentrated time. That's a big, important thing to her. And, and husbands, you need to figure out what your wife's love language is because otherwise you're going to be trying to love her probably in the way that you would like to receive love instead of the way that she best receives it. And here's the beauty of this thing. Now, I'm not going to say patients doesn't enjoy getting the gifts and the service and the verbal, you know, all of those things. She likes it. But the, the, the way I can hit a home run, and I, and I know I can, is by spending that time with her because that's what's most important to her. That's how she receives love. And here's the other thing, guys. I'm not trying to let you off the hook here or anything, but if you do that one thing, if you can love your wife through the love language that she's hearing, even if you drop the ball in the other areas, she's still going to feel generally loved. All right? So that's what I think it means to love our wives in an understanding way. The other thing it means as well is that Yes, God has called us to lead and be responsible for our family. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute a little bit more. What it means, though, for us men is that we ought to very rarely find ourselves in a place that we uh, exert that authority, that leadership, in a way that overrides her wishes, her heart, her desire. We're making those decisions about uh, schooling for the kids or about whether to move to another place and take that new job or about this situation with the in-laws and how to deal with it. And to live in an understanding way, I think, means that we hear, we're listening a lot. And there may be those places where you, as the leader of your family, that's the place that God has put you in, have to say, "Hun, this is where I think we need to go. Otherwise, leadership means nothing. There's got to be those places, but they ought to be few and far between. And they ought to be after we've really listened and heard very carefully the heartbeat of our wife. 
That's often, though, not the biggest problem for us as men, not wielding our authority in a negative way. The biggest problem for most of us as men is probably more on the passivity side. Kind of tend to sit back and not lead, not be the one. Now, I'm not saying we have to do all the spiritual nurture of our kids. It's fine for our, you know, our wives should be involved in that. But we ought to care about that. We ought to care to be the one to make sure we get to church and make sure the kids get in a place where they can go to Bible study and hear about the Lord. And we ought to be interested in what our wife is learning in Bible study and all of those things. That's part of shepherding our wife and our family. Is moving out of passivity and into action for God's glory, for His purposes. It takes intentionality. That's a little bit for the husbands to pray through. Wives, the passage gives several callings uh, to you as well. And let's work our way through it, starting back in verse 1. The first thing I'll say is that, you know, any uh, leadership, any authority can certainly be abused. There's a little Latin phrase that may or may not be helpful for you ladies. But someone shared it with me a long time ago. You don't even have to write it down if you don't want to. But it's this, abusus usum non tollet. Abusus usum non tollet. And what it says is that abuse does not negate proper use. Okay, we all know, in theory, a surgeon could use a scalpel to kill someone instead of to heal someone. Doesn't mean we get rid of surgeons. Doesn't mean we get rid of scalpels. Maybe some of us have seen uh, a husband's leadership used in a very negative way. I'm sure there are a myriad of examples out there, maybe some that are very close to home for us. And, and the only thing I can tell you is that abuse does not negate proper use. There still is a loving, good, biblical leadership that husbands are called to and a blessing that would actually come to you as a wife to be able to put yourself under that leadership. That's what the Apostle Peter's saying. That's what the Apostle Paul says. It's interesting. The passage starts out talking about a husband who doesn't even appear to be a believer. It's saying, you know, even if your husband uh, doesn't obey the word, so he's somebody who doesn't understand the Bible himself, that person could be won over by your conduct, by your conduct along these lines. And it's interesting as well, I want you to note, ladies in here, that the solution to any issues in marriage or really any issues in life, Peter addresses wives and husbands. He's not trying to meld them together. It's not God's plan for you to become a man in order for you to be fulfilled. God designed women to be women, and that is a good and beautiful thing. That's part of the message here. One commentator even put it this way. That a woman will find herself in her true God and her true God-given role, not in working against her husband's leadership, but in joyful submission to it. You got to believe that to walk in it. You have to trust the Lord to be able to walk in that. That's a that's not an easy thing. It's an act of faith. It's interesting. It talks here about adorning, and you may have read this. And of course, maybe we know. Uh, some groups of believers that take this verse 3 and so forth and, and don't do anything, the ladies, to beautify themselves. If you read it in this context, it's clearly not talking about that. It's, it's saying, don't let your adorning be merely external. Just this reminder that what is truly 
beautiful wives, particularly about you, and I, I, I would think we can apply this to all the women here, whether you are a wife or not, what is truly beautiful is the character that God is working. And, and, and the apostle tells us that it is the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty, right? Imperishable beauty. All the beauty, even the best beauty and youth and so forth, uh, ladies, it's all fading, right? We know that. You want imperishable beauty? The Apostle Paul says it comes by, by following, uh, the Apostle Peter says, by following the Lord, by seeing the beauty of his ways. And then it concludes with this statement. He uses the example of Sarah. And he says in verse 6, it's kind of a funny little verse. When I first read it, I was like, what is, what's the message here? Uh, in the last part of verse 6, it says, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Well, what else are you going to fear? Something that's frightening. That would be what would be fearful. What's he talking about there? When you uh, take your life and say that I'm going to put it into this relationship with this other person, and I'm going to trust a sinful person, a, a guy that I know is already, you know, if you've been with him for any time, he's already messed some things up. He ain't perfect. He ain't batting, you know, a thousand. And I'm going to put myself in a relationship to him where I really follow his leadership. That's fearful. That's a frightening thing to do. It means yielding some of the control that you know, all of us would like to have of our life. That, that's a fearful thing. And so Peter is saying that the beautiful thing to do by faith, ladies, is to pray and ask God to allow you to, to be in that place, that he's glorified in your life there. Ladies, I challenge the men with some uh, specifics. And I would just say this along these lines. Um, it, it is wonderful. We, we have so many ladies part of the church that are in Bible study. And, and so many of you I know who are regular, probably more consistent than the men in our church with your, your daily devotional times and, and, and prayer times and Bible studies and, and maybe going to conferences and seeking to grow in the Lord. And all of those things are so good and so, so important. The Apostle Peter says here, one of the most important things, though, is in the midst of doing all that, don't miss, don't somehow get past the fact that God really wants to do something in your heart, in your life, and it's part of your relationship to your husband and trusting God by faith to respond to his leadership in the way that he's called you to. Uh, does this mean that you just kind of go along even though your hubby's making the worst mistake of your life that you can see? No, absolutely not. I think it means you speak, you share, recognizing his leadership but speaking into his life. Does it mean that any woman should be called to accept any kind of abusive uh, treatment of any kind? No, not at all. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about walking in faith, in godliness, in a relationship to a husband who, Lord willing, is seeking to do what God's called him here. That's why I started out with his part first, to love you, wife in an understanding way to honor you to recognize you as a co-heir of the grace of life and and you see how if these things start to happen together how beautiful and how powerful it can be i think it is beautiful and it is powerful and there's a song that i'm not going to sing but i'm going to read the lyrics of to you as we conclude the day because if you hear any of these things, whether it's the call for wives or the, wives or the call for husbands, this is tough stuff. 
This is not easy to do for either of us. And so we need help. We need the promises of God to build our lives on his grace and his strength and what he's doing in our lives. And uh, this gentleman, Andrew Peterson, wrote this song that I'm sure some of you have listened listened to, uh, Dancing in the Minefields is the title of it. You can look it up online or something and probably listen to it as it's meant to be delivered. But I thought it was powerful for me and for my marriage, and so I pass it on to you. He says this, Well, I was 19, you were 21, the year we got engaged. And everyone said we were much too young, but we did it anyway. We got the rings for 40 each from the pawn shop down the road. We set our vows and took a leap now 15 years ago. And we went dancing in the minefields. We went sailing in the storms. And it was harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. Well, I do are the two most famous last words. The beginning of the end. But to lose your life for another, I've heard, is a good place to begin. Because the only way to find your life is to lay your life down. And I believe it's an easy price for the life that we have found. So when I lose my way, find me. When I loose love's chains, bind me. At the end of all my faith, at the end of all my days, when I forget my name, Remind me, because we bear the light of the Son of Man, and there's nothing left to fear. So I'll walk with you in the shadow lands till the shadows disappear. Because he promised not to leave us, and the promises are true. So in the face of all this chaos, baby, I can dance with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the darkness about how we're supposed to relate in this most vital relationship for our lives, even for our society. And Father, we pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see good things from your word for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.